0: Now as we move along in Genesis chapter 11, 11 verses 10 to 32, 10 to 32, the genealogy of Shem, it goes from Shem to Abraham, from Shem to Abraham here, post-Babel. Genesis 11 verse 10. Now, these are the records of the generations of Shem. Shem was 100 years old and became the father of Arpakshad two years after the flood. And Shem lived 500 years after he became the father of Arpakshad, and he had other sons and daughters. And Arpakshad lived 35 years and became the father of Shelah and Arpakshad lived 403 years after he became the father of Shelah and he had other sons and daughters. And Shelah lived 30 years and became the father of Eber and Shelah lived 403 years after he became the father of Eber and he had other sons and daughters. And Eber lived 34 years and became the father of Peleg, and Eber lived 430 years after he became the father of Peleg, and he had other sons and daughters. And Peleg lived 30 years and he became the father of Reu, and Peleg lived 209 years after he became the father of Reu and he had other sons and daughters. And Reu lived 32 years and became the father of Sarug, And Raul lived 207 years after he became the father of Sarug and he had other sons and daughters. And Sarug lived 30 years and became the father of Nahor, and Sarug lived 200 years after he became the father of Nahor and he had other sons and daughters. And Nahor lived 29 years and became the father of Terah, and Nahor lived 119 years after he became the father of Terah and he had other sons and daughters. And Terah lived 70 years and became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now these are the records of the generations of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. And Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his birth, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives from themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. And Sarai was barren. She had no child. And Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran and settled there. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. This genealogy in Genesis 11 is from Shem to Abraham, from Shem to Abraham, because this is preparatory and an introduction for what we will read in chapters 12 to 25. The genealogy is here to make a connection between the pre-flood world and the post-flood world, but more specifically to go straight to Abraham, because Abraham will become, from this point onward, the father of the faith, the father of the faithful he becomes the best and supreme example throughout the bible of a man of faith. This is quite clear in Genesis chapter, excuse me, Galatians chapter 3 and in Romans chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 2. In these various places in scripture, Abraham is the best model, the perfect example, the paradigm for a believer in Christ. How it is that we are saved in Christ? This is the importance of the genealogy. The genealogy is not here because of uh, proclivity for obscure obscure details in the Bible. The Bible is not like that. The Bible has these genealogies to teach us the connection between Adam, Noah, and Abraham, and on to Judah, David, and Christ. That is the reason for the genealogies, the main reason for the genealogies. But there's also another benefit, as we said earlier about the Tower of Babel incident. Its purpose is to show us the historicity of these individuals, to tell us that they were real people, actual people in our world. That's who they were. That's why we have the genealogy. Now let's make some observations as we go along in verse 10. Um, Verses 10, verses 10 to 19 go from Shem to Peleg and Reu, and this will be similar, almost the same as what we find in chapter 10, verses 21 to 25. Chapter 10, 21 to 25 also took us from Shem to Eber and Peleg, and then Peleg uh, and another son of Eber named Joktan, and so in chapter 11, we pick up with the same um, line from Shem to Peleg. That's what happens in the first part of the genealogy. We first see in verse 10 that it says, These are the records of the generations of Shem. This is a way uh, in gen- the book of Genesis, this phrase, generations of, occurs 11 times in the book of Genesis, and each time there's a significant patriarch who's mentioned there, and what happens in his life is mentioned right after that, or his descendants, or events later in his life, what happened is typically what we find in these uh, 11 generational sayings. They're also known as Toledot sayings, if you are reading commentaries, generational or Toledot. Toledot is the Hebrew word for generations, and that's what we have here. Um... Shem. So, from verse ten, we also note that Shem was one hundred years old and became the father of our two years after the flood. When it says two years after the flood, he had this son. Remember, they had no children in the ark. Only right. after, and two years after the flood. Two years after actually means from the beginning of the flood. Onward, which would the flood was one year, so it would mean actually in the first year or by the end of the first year after the flood, our Pakshad was born. That's what the two years means. We'll see this as an example in chapter 9, Genesis 9, verse 28. And Noah lived 350 years after the flood. 350 years after the flood. Well, When he was 600 years old, the flood occurred, and it ended in his 601st year. And here it says he lived 350 years after the flood. Yet we also note in Genesis 9.29, So all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Which means that this phrase, after the flood, in these two cases, has reference to after the beginning of the flood. After the beginning of the flood. So... With that in mind, and the flood, we notice that the flood was in 2348 B.C. This is on the basis uh, of working backwards and also working from the genealogy of Genesis 5. Working backwards meaning from what we know of history and correlating biblical events with extra-biblical events of history and with the biblical genealogies of chapters 5 and 11, These genealogies of Genesis 5 and 11 are not gap genealogies, meaning there's not somebody mentioned, an ancestor, and then a hundred years or thousands of years of a gap, and then somebody else mentioned, and then another big gap, and then somebody else mentioned. Mm -hmm. They're not gap genealogies, but these are strict genealogies, linear genealogies, in chapters 5 and 11. In chapters 5 and 11, that's what we have here. Um, A gap genealogy might be... uh, One example is the common one in Matthew chapter 1. This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, the son of David. Right? The son of David, son of Abraham. It only mentions that those are his two patriarchs, his two ancestors, only those two. But there's a thousand years between Abraham and David. However, he's only emphasizing those two because he's about to tell us the other descendants in this whole line in verses 1 to 17. Matthew chapter 1, 1 to 17. He tells us who the others are, but he just tells us in, in a brief note who the main ones were. But that's not what we have here in Genesis 5 and Genesis 11. We have the names and how old the father was when the son was, when the born. The son was born. Right. When the named son was born. Not when every son was born and not when every daughter was born, but when the named son was born. And therefore we have to ask, why this named son? The named son because he is an ancestor of Christ. That's why the named son is there. And two years after, so this would be in uh, 2347, or 46 BC, that's when it occur, um, our prakshad was born. And as we go along, we'll also see that Abraham was born in 1996 BC, 1996 to 1821 BC. As Genesis 25, seven says, he died at the age of 175. Now, we also notice in verse 11, Genesis 11:11. And as we continue in this narrative, that it says he had other sons and daughters. Other sons and daughters. This is similar to Genesis 5. This is said here because it's important for us to realize that the named son was not the only child, but that the earth did populate. The earth did spread. There were many people born into the world. In fact, the same commentary the commentary of of Kyle and Dalich, they um, calculate that by the time of Abraham, there would have been at least, that is, from 2348 B.C. to 1996 B.C., so of of about 350 years, at least 300,000 people on the globe. At the very least, 300,000 people. So that's what's meant by other sons and daughters. It's important for us to recognize that. Furthermore, you'll notice there's a difference. It does not say, and he died. Verse 11 does not say, and Shem died. It doesn't say, and we're left to calculate how long he lived. These are the two differences to chapter 5. Chapter 5 says, and he died, or whoever it was, and he died, and how long he lived. But here we don't have that. Why? Because we already know about death. And we already know, even in the case of those who had greater longevity, who lived to be seven, eight, nine hundred years old, that we needed to be told to emphasize that they actually did die. But over here, it's a matter of fact. Nobody's going to dispute that fact that these men died. So it's unnecessary to repeat. Um, okay, so from verses 12 to 16, 12 to 16 and 17. We come to uh, from our Pakshad, Shelah, and then verse 16, Eber. And Eber lived 34 years and he became the father of Peleg. Now, first, Eber. It is likely that this Eber is the one who is the ancestor of this term, the Hebrew, or Hebrew people. Because the word, the consonants in the original language of Hebrew, the consonants, and there's three basic consonants of of most Hebrew words. And the three basic consonants of this name, Eber, and in Genesis 14, Genesis 14, 13, Genesis 14, 13, it says, Then a fugitive came and told Abram the Hebrew. Right. Okay? The word Hebrew and Eber are from the same root. Hebrew and ever, are from the same root. Same root consonants. And that's why it's likely that the Hebrew um, designation comes from this point onward. And a presumably ever was um, populous enough that this is why it's said that he is um, a, a Hebrew. Now, uh Notice it says in Genesis ten twenty one. Genesis ten twenty one, and also to Shem, the father of all the children of Ever, the same Ever. Why all the children of Ever? Because he became so numerous that, that and he because he was the, the ancestor of Christ, that the Hebrew language came through him. It remained in him, the Hebrew language and the culture associated with it, went through him, went through Eber and onward to Peleg and down to Abraham. That's why Abraham is called Abram the Hebrew, because that became so popular and dominant that was their origin. Then in Genesis 11, 16 and 17, it says that um, he was the father, Eber became the father of Peleg and and ever lived 430 years after he became the father Peleg and he had other sons and daughters. Let's also notice that the patriarchs from Shem to Eber they have a relative lifespan that's about half of Genesis chapter 5. Yeah. In Genesis chapter 5 they were 7 8 900 years old and in the case of Shem um, he lived 500 years after the flood. And he was a hundred years old and became the father of our Pakshad. So we have him at 600. In the case of our Pakshad, he was 35 uh, plus 403 years old. So this is 438. And then in the case of Shelah, he was 30 had Eber, and then 403 years, so he was 433 years old. And then Eber was 34 plus 430, so um, 464. All of this is about half as much as the pre-flood patriarchs, okay? But then notice that it decreases from Peleg onward. From Peleg onward, it also is cut in about a half. Verse... Um, 18. And Peleg lived 30 years and became the father of Reu, and Peleg lived 209 years after he became the father of Reu, and he had other sons and daughters. So 239 years is the lifespan of Peleg. And so forth. And even Terah, at the end of the chapter, he lives to be 205 years. This is the uh, degenerational impact of sin in the world, I think. That's what we have here before the flood, right after the flood, and then from the time of the Tower of Babel onwards, cut in half again, from 400 to 200. And why do we say the Tower of Babel? The name Peleg, remember that his name is mentioned in chapter 10, chapter 10, verse 25. And two sons were born to Eber. The name of the one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. So, his, the earth was divided. In what sense was the earth divided? Divided in the sense of chapter 11, verses 1 to 9, the Tower of Babel. They were divided, the language was confused, and they were scattered throughout the earth in the time of Peleg, in, in his time. So, in the time of Peleg, if, um, according to this genealogy, um, Peleg would have lived until about 2008 B.C. About 2008 B.C. before Abraham was born, uh, Peleg died. Now, if that's the case, then that was about the time, sometime during the lifespan of Peleg, no later than 2008 B.C., and probably around 2250 uh, B.C., about 100 years after the flood. Between that to about 2000 BC is a during that period is when the Tower of Babel occurred. The Bible doesn't specify any more than that. Right. We we might uh, get a picture whether it, I doubt it was early in Peleg's life. It was probably in the middle or towards the end of Peleg's life, so that there's enough people and population to do what they attempted to do. Hmm. All right, now let's move on. To We'll go from Peleg to Reu and Terah. So now at verse uh, um, 20. And Reu lived 32 years and became the father of Sarug, and, and Reu lived 207 years after he became the father of Sarug, and he had other sons and daughter daughters, and Sarug lived 30 years and became the father of Nahor, and Sar- Sarug lived 200 uh, years after he became the father of Nahor, and he had other sons and daughters. Now, from Peleg to Nahor, this genealogy is here, but don't get this Nahor confused with the next Nahor, okay? <laughs> because, right? because this Nahor, the son of Sarug, is the father of Terah, the father of Abraham. So, Sarug, Nahor, Terah, Abraham. That's the sequence. Verse 24, And Nahor lived 29 years and became the father of Terah, And Nahor lived 119 years after he became the father of Terah, and he had other sons and daughters. Alright? So, that's the sequence. The reason I'm telling you not to be confused is, there is another Nahor in the same genealogy. It's the same name. And likely, Terah named his son after his father. Okay? Yeah. So, we have in verse 26... And Terah lived 70 years and became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. There's the second Nahor. Okay, So the Nahor that more of us will associate this name Nahor with Abraham and Abraham's family is the son of Terah. Not the father of Terah, but the son of Terah. And it is likely that it is this Nahor that is mentioned in Chapter 24, verse 10. Chapter 24, verse 10. When Abraham sent his servant to find a wife for Isaac, it says in 2410, remember, Abraham is living in Canaan. He had settled in a city on the way to Canaan. For a while, he settled there. And notice what that city is called where he sent the servant to go find a a wife among his relatives. Verse 10, Then the servant took ten camels from the camels of his master and set out with the variety of good things of his masters in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. To the city of... Why is that called Nahor? Because he's going back to the relatives. That means that when Abraham came to Canaan, it's likely that Nahor stayed in... That area in Padan Aram, northern, uh, northwest part of Mesopotamia, north of the land of Canaan and Israel. Also, verse 26, chapter 11, verse 26. When it says, Terah lived 70 years and became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, it does not mean necessarily that he had all three sons. At the same time. It, all it is meaning is that he began to beget sons, these three sons, when he was 70 years old. And why do we conclude that? We conclude that because it tells us in chapter 12, verse 4, chapter 12, verse 4, Genesis twelve four, that Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. He was 75 when he departed from Haran. And in chapter 11, verse 32, it says, The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So that means that Abraham was born when Terah was 130 years old. When Terah when was 130, that's when Abraham was born. And therefore, uh, Nahor and Haran, the brothers of Abraham, um, were likely, one of them was likely the oldest one. We don't know the sequence, but one of them was older than Abram. Perhaps Haran was. Now, uh, because it says he died, and it doesn't say why he died, maybe just he died because of his age. Now, verse 27 Genesis eleven twenty seven. Now these are the records of the generations of Terah. Here too is another one of these generational sayings. And Terah's uh, genealogy is here from 27 to 32. What happens to him and his posterity. Uh, Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. Quickly, we are told about Lot without knowing anything more until we get to chapter 12, verse 5, where it says that Abram went to Canaan with Lot, his nephew. 12, verse 5, Lot, his nephew. But what happens to Lot, of course, we won't see much of that until we get to chapter 13 and also chapter 19. Chapter 13 with the dispute among the herdsmen and then in chapter 19 in Sodom. Lot's mentioned and Haran is mentioned together like this because of the relationship. Verse 28, Then Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his birth in Ur of the Chaldeans. So, these men actually lived in Ur of the Chaldeans. They did not always live in Canaan. They did not always live in Haran where they go to settle, it says in verse 31. They were from Ur of the Chaldeans. This Ur of the Chaldeans, it's been hard to identify where exactly this was, whether in southern Mesopotamia or northern Mesopotamia. There, are, uh, there is a bigger city known as Ur in southern Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia and a smaller one in upper, <laughs> in the north. Now, there's two. And if there weren't any Chaldeans in southern Mesopotamia, this would be why it says Ur of the Chaldeans, because this tiny town in Upper Mesopotamia that had Chaldean people that everybody would know about had this small town that nobody knew about. So that's why it's likely said Ur of the Chaldeans. It may be like that. Or Ur of the Chaldeans may be a designation because it becomes a synonym for Babylonians, the Babylonians or the Chaldeans who are in southern Mesopotamia. And it may be that they did inhabit or enough of them inhabited southern Mesopotamia that the the Bible is asserting that and the scholars just have not come to agree with the southern Mesopotamian view. In either case, we know that this is a Mesopotamian locality, a Mesopotamian city, and it's not in the land of Canaan. Okay, or anywhere else in the world. It's not in Canaan. Um, now, what was happening? Let's pause here in verse 28. What, what was going on here in verse, verses 27 and 28? When they lived in Ur of the Chaldeans, when they lived there, who were they? When they lived there, who were they? Joshua chapter 24 explains. Joshua 24, verse 2. Joshua 24, 2. Many centuries have passed. Um, Now it's about 1400 BC. Joshua has conquered the land of Canaan. This is after Moses died and Joshua conquers Canaan. Joshua 24, 2. And Joshua is about to die and he says, 24, 2. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. From ancient times, your fathers lived beyond the river, namely, Terah the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. They served other gods beyond the river. The beyond the river, the river, in most of the expressions in the Old Testament, beyond the river, and your Bible may have it capitalized, is the Euphrates River, In most cases, the Euphrates River, so it would have been in Mesopotamia, the Euphrates River. What do we notice? They worshipped idols. Abraham, Terah, Nahor, they worshipped idols, which means they had to be converted. God had to change them in order for them to have the impetus to obey the command of God to leave Ur of the Chaldeans, to leave there. Further, twenty four, fourteen, Joshua twenty four, fourteen and fifteen. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and, and truth, and put away the gods which your father served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you are now living, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's very clear that Abraham was raised in a pagan family. And at some point, there was conversion. We don't know when, but we, we know because of the nature of faith and belief in Christ that there must have been conversion that took place. And that's um, evidence in Genesis fifteen six. And Abraham believed in the Lord, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So... Let's proceed now to Genesis eleven twenty nine. 29. And Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father Milcah and Iscah. Uh, they both married, and it says Abram's wife was Sarai. And here it doesn't tell us exactly who the father of Sarai was, But we do know from Genesis 20, verse 12. Genesis 20, verse 12. Abraham says, Besides, she actually is my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. So Sarai is the daughter of Terah, and Abraham married her. It does not tell us... Um, Well, it tells us then about Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran. So Nahor married his niece because Haran was his brother, according to verse 26. And he married his niece, Milcah. And not only was Haran the father of Milcah, but the father of Iscah. The text of the Bible does not tell us explicitly who this Isca was, who she was. She's mentioned here, and everyone is curious, but it's doubtful as to who she actually was. There is a strand in Jewish interpretation, ancient Jewish interpretation, that she was. She was. That's another name for Sarah. It's another name for Sarah. However, we can't have that. Because of Genesis 20, verse 12, she, this cannot be another name for Sarah because here it says she is the daughter of Haran. According to Genesis 20, verse 12, Abraham and Sarah had the same father, which would be Terah. So that strand of Jewish interpretation cannot be true. It's, it's a kind of odd how sometimes in interpretive history, not just Jewish interpretation, even ours, that we see something so clear in the text and we say the very opposite. We believe the very opposite, which is actually the the case with verse 30 also. Verse 30, And Sarai was barren and she had no child. And in fact, there is one commentator, Jewish commentator, who uh, ancient commentator, who says that Abraham was impotent, but Sarah was fertile. Please. Please, the text says Sarai was barren. She had no child. We also know later, Abraham says he's 100 years old and he's impotent by that point. But not now. He's not. Not at this point. The problem is she is barren. She is barren. This is, these are just examples on how the Bible actually says it explicitly, it makes an assertion, and the interpreter reads it and walks away and says the very opposite. It's so blatant, but this happens all the time. It happens every day, and it's a lesson for us not to ever do that. Right. We should have the fear of God in us so much, as it says in 2 Timothy 2.15, that we handle his, the word of truth accurately. Handle the word of truth accurately. And Sarah's barrenness is anticipatory, is it not? because when we begin reading in Genesis, we'll see that she doesn't have a child. But this is a major issue here, because it's already implied that her having a child, a son, has to do with the promises of God. You see, the promises of God are right here implied, and they are explicit later in the narrative. They're implied here and explicit later. They Have that concern? They had the concern when God first made the promises to Abraham. How will she bear a son? Okay, verse 31. And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, and uh, his son Abram's wife, and they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran and settled there. Alright, Terah takes these all along with him and they go go to a city in northwestern Mesopotamia on the way to Canaan, but they stop there and they settle there, it says. It does not say how long they were there, but it does say that they settled there. And what was their purpose? In order to enter the land of Canaan. From Ur of the Chaldeans, in order to enter the land of Canaan. Here too, I was reading another commentary which said that this call of Abraham actually came from Haran, not from Ur of the Chaldeans. Hmm. Completely overlooking the significance of this statement right here in verse 31. Or, from Ur or of the Chaldeans, in order to enter the land of Canaan, and they went as far as Haran and settled there. That's the journey. The, these are the locations on their journey. From Ur to Haran to Canaan. The reason they left Ur was to get to Canaan, not to get to Haran. And then the same commentator, even though he mentions this, he doesn't give it its due place, and that is Genesis 15, verse 7, Genesis 15, verse 7, and he said to him, that is, the Lord said to Abraham, he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. To give you this land to possess it. The commentator does say, yes, God, according to this verse, brought him out of Ur. He brought him out of Ur, but that's not what the call was, he says. But if you keep reading it, it says, to give you this land to possess it. That's a part of the call. To give you this land to possess it is a part of the call. Furthermore, the same commentator, Acts chapter 7, cites Acts chapter 7, but does not give its due place. He cites it, but he doesn't give it its due place, its due weight. Acts chapter 7, verses 1 to 3. Well, We'll read even more than that. We'll start at verse 1. And the high priest said, are these things so? That is, the high priest confronts Stephen, and Stephen explains, verse 2. And he said, Hear me, brethren and fathers. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. There we have it. And said to him, Depart from your country and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. Then he departed from the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. And from thereafter this, uh, his father died, God removed him into this country in which you are now living, meaning Israel or Canaan, okay? That's the sequence. God appeared to Abraham in Ur of the Chaldeans in Mesopotamia before he went to Haran. They went to Haran, they lived there, and then God told Abraham, depart from there. Into from your country and from your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. Leave Haran and go to Canaan. That, Acts 7, verse 3, is Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Known as the call of Abraham. The call of Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go forth for yourself from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house, to the land which I will show you. That is what is right here in Genesis 7 or Acts 7, verse 3. So the call of Abraham occurred in Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, while we're in Acts chapter 7, let me anticipate a question that is on your mind, because commentators have also um, been confused, and they have also, in many cases, not every case, but in many cases, the skeptical commentators have overlooked what Stephen says or has not given Stephen credibility. Right. It says that the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. Right there, first, we have appeared to our father Abraham. That means that God revealed himself in some special way to Abraham there in Ur of the Chaldeans. God revealed himself. What is implicit in Genesis and even in Joshua 24 is explicit right here in Stephen. God appeared to Abraham, and that's how Abraham was saved and received this call. So Abraham was there, and then it says, Before he lived in Haran, and, then w- and, and said to him, Depart from your country and from your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. So go to the land I will show you, that is, into the land of Canaan, so verse 4, Then he departed from the land of the Chaldeans, or the Chaldeans, and settled in Haran. But Stephen does not impugn Abraham. Nope. In fact, that is lacking faith. Why didn't you go all the way to Canaan? Why did you wait for your father to die? And why this and why that? Nothing like that. In fact, look also at verse 4. And from there, after his father died... God removed him into this country in which you are now living. So who told him after his father died in Haran to, okay, now it's time for you to leave Haran and come to Canaan? It was God. So it must have been God who told him, go to the land I will show you, told him from Ur, leave Ur and go to Haran and eventually you'll come to Canaan after your father dies. So God deliberately took him from Ur to Haran and he stopped there not because of disobedience but the will of God and then based on the will of God he left Haran and came to Canaan in due time. That's the sequence. All because Abraham obeyed God. It says God removed him. God is the one who said now it's time to move on to the land of Canaan. All right, now... Uh, finally, chapter 11 and verse 32. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Okay, so Terah dies in Haran, and Abraham, as we said in chapter 12, verses 1 to 5, Abraham, this call of God is now told to us in chapter 12. So, what God told Abraham in Ur is now written in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 12. Okay? So, what Abraham was supposed to do, we hear of what he was supposed to do in the following chapter. Don't be surprised at this. Remember, as I said before, the Bible will sometimes say something, announce something in summary implicitly even in that summary, and then explicitly it'll be explained somewhere else, often right after that in the next chapter. And that's the way we, we need to read this and read this whole narrative. Okay, one more final thing before we pause and take another break. And that is, all this attention to Abraham, notice from chapter 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, And then 17, why all this attention to Abraham and his lineage, the lineage of faith, the lineage of the patriarchs who were the ancestors of Christ, all to show that it depends on faith in Christ. Faith in Christ, not circumcision, not baptism, not the Lord's Supper, not anything else that we do, no animal sacrifice. Our salvation is based on faith in Christ. Because in Genesis 17 is when Abraham is circumcised, and he's circumcised when he's an old man. When he was was 86 years old. 86 years old, he's circumcised. Not even when he first entered Canaan when he was 75. He waited a long time in Canaan. But when he was 86, he circumcised himself. And then he circumcised the men in his household. And that's when circumcision started as a sign and a seal of the covenant of grace. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.